Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Preamble. Um, yeah, uh, we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish... You don't... This is an American preamble. We, the people, is... JFK? <laughs> <laughs> was it, that him or no it's the preamble of the constitution um, oh okay <laughs> this is as a, this exemplifies our american and britishness it's a thing you have absolutely no reason to know and a thing that like i have a song in my brain that lets me sing the whole thing like you remember your abcs wow um, like alabama arkansas yeah, but uh, let me tell Alaska. you i don't have the yeah. song that remembers the states but i do have the song that remembers the preamble of the constitution in my brain that's great you're such a lucky and fortunate human. part part of it has to do with it's from schoolhouse rock and i think and that means it was written by aarons and flaherty um right. so i think it just is a better song than alabama um i mean the only reason again i've ever heard of it is the simpsons <laughs> Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jimmy. And this is the only musical theatre podcast with Pada Beret. And IPAs. Here, we take about your favourite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theatre conversation. Jimmy, you've got a quiz question for us. I do. The Tony-winning star from this musical caused Jeff Bowen to say the word fierce for the first and second time. What show? What could it be? I know what it is. Do you know what it is? I think I do, but you tell me just in case. (laughs) It's Next to Normal. They're the perfect loving family, so adoring. And I love them every day of every week. So my son's a little shit, my husband's boring. And my daughter, though a genius, is a freak. Still I help them love each other. Father, mother, sister, brother, cheek to cheek. Natalie, it's four in the morning. Is everything okay? Everything's great. Why wouldn't it be great? It's great. Honey, you need to slow down. Take some time for yourself. I'm going to have sex with your father. Great. Thanks. I'm so glad I know that. So it's times like these I wonder how I take it. And if other families live the way we do. If they love each other. 
Jimmy, we're talking about Next to Normal. Yes, we are. This is an exciting show. I'm very excited to talk about this with you. And we know a lot of you are excited to talk about it as well. Um, Worth worth saying, I'm sure plenty of you know a lot of the content and ideas surrounding Next to Normal. But if you don't, uh, fair warning, it deals with um, a lot of heavier topics. uh, Suicidal ideation, depression, bipolar disorder, dealing with grief. um, A lot of these things that can you know, make people uncomfortable, um, can make you uncomfortable, which is totally okay and is why we're bringing it up now so you can make that decision about whether or not this episode is for you. And if you stuck around, then great. Awesome. Welcome. Let's let's proceed. Um, so, uh, Next to Normal uh, premiered off-Broadway uh, and opened for a tiny amount of time, but in that time won four million awards. It was great. Uh, <laughs> then it got reworked and they did some workshops and uh, it was then brought onto Broadway in 2009. Yes, it has music by Tom Kitt and lyrics and book by Brian Yorkie. Yes, uh, and it was nominated for 11 Tonys. It only won three. It lost Best Musical that year to Billy Elliot, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, we will. And it also won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 2010. Dun-dun-dun. Doesn't happen to musicals a lot. It doesn't, especially rock musicals. Especially rock musicals, especially... Although it did... Previously, the most previous award for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama that went to a musical was Rent. So was Rent, yeah, this true. certainly was a sign, maybe a sign of the times? I don't know. And now it's a hip-hop musical, so yeah. who knows what's next? Yeah, I know. We need to invent new genres of music. Or exactly. will the pendulum swing back the other way? Yes, I want a traditional golden age soaring orchestral uh, <laughs> musical. That exactly. would be a dream. Um, so, Thomas, tell us about what Next to Normal is. Oh, man. About. Next to Normal is the story of a very, very stereotypical-seeming suburban family. Um, mm-hmm. Husband, wife, daughter, son? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two characters we meet are the daughter's boyfriend and the mother's doctor. Um, the mother, we learn pretty early on in the show, has some kind of mental illness, some kind of mental disease, somewhere around bipolar disorder, disorder schizophrenia, um, depressive states, manic episodes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very much related to the fact that her son died very, very young, but she mm-hmm. still has delusional episodes where she sees him as a fully grown 17, 18-year-old living in their house, doing normal son things, um, and some of and the toll that that has on their family. Um, yeah. That's the A plot. And then the B plot is um, their poor daughter, who is, you know, alive, um, and how she has to cope with her mother's uh, bipolar disorder um, and her kind of descent into teenage drug abuse to cope with the stresses of teenage dumb in suburban society. We also watch the husband um, kind of grapple with repressing and not thinking about uh, the thought of his son dying. Um, And so it is an exploration into 
mental disorders, contemporary teenagers, and how we deal with grief. Um, yeah. And <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I know. Exactly. As heavy as that sounds, it's also very entertaining in just a lot of different ways. Yeah. It, I mean, Next to Normal's in my, it's been in my top five since I first ever listened to it. And Absolutely. it's never left. Yeah. And well, it never and- will. We Alice Ripley, who we didn't say is the answer to the quiz question. Jeff Bowen, oh yeah, title of show says that uh, uh, Alice Ripley is fierce. Um, I think pretty much in title of Showland, that reference is either to Next to Normal or Sideshow, but mm-hmm. you know it, because of the way these two shows cross over in time. Um, but yeah. at, when Alice Ripley ex- accepts the award for best actress in a show she she's quite the speech um we'll put a link she's in the quite show the notes, woman sure. she she is fierce unequivocally unironically she yes incredibly fierce she incredibly is her own person and i really get a kick out of watching her yeah her as her yeah and, and her, her as, as anyone else yeah but yeah I, I do if i'm recalling correctly she has some statement about like Musical theater is fine art, and next to normal is proof of that. Next yep. to normal is is an expansion of what musical theater can cover, which is why totally. it seems like pretty heavy issues in what is normally a, a genre filled with kick lines and confetti. Totally, this is this is my one. This is the one that I use. Yeah, you know, what I mean, when you have the argument, the inevitable argument of. The, the jazz hands argument, I yeah. like to call it, where it's like, oh, well, you like musicals? How trivial for you? I thought you said you were a real artist. And I'm like, you can go to hell because uh, right. you are completely wrong. You can't deny that these incredible pieces couldn't, you know, I mean, be created and exist and are legitimate. Here it has won the Pulitzer Prize. You can't get more of a yeah. rubber stamp uh, than that. Yeah. Jimmy, shall we talk about the history of Next to Normal and where it's come and where it's going? Yeah, absolutely. And every else goes away everything else goes away and you play till it's perfect you play till you ache you play till the strings or your fingernails break so you'll rock that recital and get into Yale so you won't feel so sick and you won't look so pale because you got your full ride and your early admit so you're done with this school and with all of this shit and you graduate early you're gone as a man And you know that it's just a sonata away And you play And you play And everything else goes away Everything else goes away Everything else goes away Where it's going? What do you know that I don't know? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's the assumption <laughs> So I think let's just start. Let's just start right there because it's a question with no answer. Sure. Why the hell have I not gone to see Next to Normal in London? Which is fascinating to me because in doing research for this, do you know how many high schools in the United States have done Next to Normal? Yes, hundreds. I look it up regularly. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. But so, okay, when did you did you encounter the show when it was contemporary? Like, did you listen yes. to it when it came out? Me too, and. I wonder, this is a thought that's just approaching me now, but I wonder if that affects our existence into musical theater. I encountered Next to Normal before I encountered Rent, let's say. Oh, interesting. Um, I was Rent first. Okay. Um, 
And so I find next to normal, not in a super big way, but still in, I think, an important way, a defining existence of musical theater in my brain. Yeah. Because I got to experience it. Like, I remember watching it on the Tonys one of the first times I watched the Tonys. Oh my Um, god, it was one of the first times I watched the Tonys. Oh, we're so cute. Uh, (laughs) But so, like, I think because it was so revolutionary, well, I guess I don't know. The the sense I was going to say was because it was so revolutionary revolutionary for its time. Mm I... uh, do you hate that statement as soon as you said it? <laughs> yeah, I do hate it as soon as I said it. Because I think there are revolutionary musicals. I think Rent was revolutionary. I think Hamilton yeah. was revolutionary. Um, you know, as we've talked at length, I think Great Comet was revolutionary. Yeah. I don't know if revolutionary is the right word for what Next to Normal was. No, I, I don't think it is either. I think um, where, where Rent's flaws are quite blatant. Yeah. I mean, I adore it still. Sure, you know, I'm absolutely. Rent through and through. Uh, where events laws are still blatant, I feel like Next to Normal came in and galvanized it. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of was like, this is what uh, Jonathan Larson, not was trying to say, obviously, it's a completely different show, completely different themes, but it's like, this is what Jonathan Larson was doing with musical theatre, and this is what Jonathan Larson probably would have continued to do yeah. with musical theatre um, had he not passed away. Uh because it is such a complete piece. Yes. And it is so well structured and is, you know, I think in many ways a perfect musical. I would be hard pressed mm. to find flaws in the structure of this show. Um, and mm-hmm. most importantly, it's 100% original. Yes. Which, as we've mentioned, doesn't happen ever on Broadway, right? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. It's just, it's. It's the saddest thing to see because it, this, this again, is, is the one that I go to. It proves the point that yeah. you can write original yeah. and it can work. It does, it does very much feel – I've had the thought before that like the Wicked Avenue Q year was the year that got Broadway out of its mm. late 90s slump mm-hmm. um, of reviews and dance numbers and things, which are totally fine but was definitely uh, a thing. Um, yeah. you know, declining ticket sales and all sorts of stuff. And like 2003 was a year where we kind of reversed that. But I think galvanized is a great word there that yeah. next to normal solidified what is now the contemporary Broadway sound. Yeah. Very, I mean, very, it always gets um, Superboy and the Invisible Girl and I Miss the Mountains get lumped into the last five years and Songs for a New World and the uh, Kerrigan and Louder Milks and mm-hmm. the Cumin and Diamonds. Like, that whole kind of oeuvre of song that you saw every single kind of cabaret or, you know, back of a bar performance of musical theatre. Yeah. They all get lumped in there. Um, whereas this is actually a legit Broadway book musical. Right. Right. And not based on anything. And you would be hard pressed to not find direct comparisons between like this and Dear Evan Hansen and this and Be More yes. Chill. Like you can absolutely see from music structure to staging to content, right? Like yep. you yep. could do uh, Dear Evan Hansen and Next to Normal in rep with the same number of yeah. cast members. Like yeah, exactly. They're the same gosh darn show. But. But I like Next to Normal better. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, I, knew, I knew it was on your lips. Uh, no, completely. I, I, 
I mean, obviously, we've, we've, we'll beat around the bush with Dearman Hansen for as long as we possibly can. Um, but, you know, I think Dearman Hansen is a product of its time. Sure. As in the time being now. Yes. Um, whereas I don't think Next to Normal was necessarily a product of its time. I think Next to Normal has a longevity that Dearman Hansen will not have. I completely agree. In, in and I kind replayability of and revivability... Um, well, but here's the thing. Yeah. Nobody talks about it in terms of a new product, like a production that we can do. Do you know? I mean, yes, obviously it exists in high schools, but I'm sure. talking professional. Yeah. And I wonder about that quite a lot because yeah. I'm like, is it just because that production in its time was so iconic and so important and so significant that if you try and revive it, it just won't be as special. Like, and I don't often feel that with shows because a lot of the time I'm like, I want to see it again. I want to yeah. see what else you can do with it. Whereas with Next to Normal, I'm a bit like, hmm, am I okay with it? Existing so, as just a period of time? So I am glad you brought this up because this was a new discovery I had in doing research for this show. Yeah. Um, there was a production of Next to Normal that went up in April and May of this year, of, 19, of 2019. Um, yeah. The musical stage company uh, in Toronto, Canada. And mm. it's interesting to delve around this, and I don't think they're the first people to do this, but they were the first company I came across that did this particular thing with Next to Normal, um, mm-hmm. which I find kind of fascinating, but is I want to be delicate in how I talk about it. Yeah. The... Where the original production of Next Normal casts what we view as the quote-unquote standard nuclear American family, which is white. Which is fully white in a way where white people don't even view it as white because it is Mm -hmm. quote-unquote normal. And Mm -hmm. then a lot of its power comes from breaking what is considered quote-unquote normal in this you know white picket fence style family. Mm. This production in Canada cast the show as a half asian family where dad was white and mom was asian and there is a lot of at least in uh north american uh family structures and assumptions um there is a cultural aspect that that brings into question in an interesting way there are a lot of you know uh there this is a terrible term um but Asian families often talk about the existence of tiger moms, um, where it's like, you will learn how to play the cello and the piano and the trumpet, and you will get great A's and you will become a doctor and a surgeon, because anything less than that is no good. Um, And this kind of extreme, extreme pressure that is put upon uh, children of Asian parents, um, it's a cultural thing. And Mm -hmm. seeing that layer applied to next to normal... It it is the sort of thing that people talk about Lion King, where like if you're not black or don't have some assumption of the black American experience, Lion King is a show about lions in the savannah. Mm-hmm. And if you are black, there is a way to read the show where it is the story of being black. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of you know uh, uh, African. Um, undertones that speak and are important about a particular kind of family and that sort of things. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why I want to speak about it delicately because I'm out of my lane here, right? In all these different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so this actress, Maya Dionisio, who played um, the mom in Next to Normal, you know, when 
my image of that is the like 1950s Alice Ripley housewife, like the stereotypical mm-hmm. white picture to then mm-hmm. see that transposed is powerful. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked plenty about like Asian underrepresentation in musical theater anyway, yeah, as, totally. a, as a big problem in it. Um, and so that is the thing that makes like, that is a, it is interesting to me that your thought of like, what can you do to make next to normal even better nowadays? Like mm-hmm. I found an answer. I found one at least. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. But then I'm wondering, because uh, to me, next to normal, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's tricky. I was going to say, it doesn't feel like it, it contains any sort of race. Sure, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not a, well, I was about to say, it's not a, like, traditional white family story. But actually, do you know what? It kind of is. It probably is. And that, that, was, the, that was the journey I went seeing this production, or seeing that this production yeah. exists existed like when we talked about music man or hello dolly about like you don't see this as a white story until you're challenged with the alternative Mm. um so i find that tricky though because if you know obviously in the book mm -hmm. uh natalie yeah the expectations that she has she's put upon herself sure because she wants to escape Right, she wants to get out. What she feels is inevitable. Yeah. Whereas what you're saying is kind of implied... Yeah. ...is that the expectations have been put on her... Yeah. ...by her parents. By reading... You know, I think you can flip that script. I don't think anything's Mm. terribly explicit either way. Um, Mm. There's also an undercurrent of, like... In the same way that I don't think there's any kind of group that has gotten past the stigma of talking about mental illness openly. Um, mm. But they're at least based on some of the reviews I had read and some of the discussion about this 2019 production, that there is perhaps even more so a larger stigma against talking about those things in the Asian community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and as I said, out of my lane, I don't want to assume but yeah. it is an interesting... I, I could see how that could create a resonance there that was not explicitly intended by, you know, the white suburban authors of this show, but yeah. certainly doesn't seem inappropriate. Um, well, I guess that's the thing, is, like, um, mental health is something that we all have. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a white condition. Yeah. It's not an Asian condition. It's a condition that every single human shares. Yeah. Um, and in that respect, of course, and I guess it's just how communities and families yeah. interact with mental health yeah. in a different way. Yeah. Well, can we, we're, we might be going off script a little bit, but do you want to take a second to talk about mental health? Because I have, I think there's a lot to talk about there. Because I'm holding on. You say you hurt like me. I am who 
I think it's worth it to define terms a little bit. Mental, Mm -hmm. we often conflate, I think understandably so, the terms mental health and mental illness. Yeah. And they are related but different. Um, In the same way that health and illness is related. Yeah, absolutely. And that you you can be not healthy while not being ill. Yeah. Um, And plenty of us struggle with mental health while struggling with mental illness can often be a separate thing. Um, Yeah, I would agree. And like we conflate this even in contemporary discussions when people get distracted and say things like, oh, that's my ADHD kicking in. Um, Mm -hmm. And like – it's not, and <laughs> exactly that can be a little offensive. Um, it's a tricky product of our time, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think people really said that twenty years ago. Yeah. Well, and this you is know? so the I've mentioned it casually several times, but my boyfriend is a doctor, um, knows next to normal, loves next to normal, and I've mm-hmm. had a couple conversations with him um, and one of our friends who is a psychologist. Um, mm-hmm. who I played uh, uh, my psychopharmacologist and I for him, and he found yeah. like, one of the funniest things in the world because um, yeah. he knows what all those medicines do. Um, yeah, exactly. And in talking about this, I found a couple things with professionals who deal in some of this. The first was mm-hmm. that I have a couple, I think, honestly and wholesome preconceived notions about mental illness that are poorly founded, that mm-hmm. mostly center around... Any kind of simplification you think you're making about these sorts of things is wrong. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is in the way that, like, if you think you understand nuclear physics or quantum mechanics, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Because there's Mm -hmm. so much stuff that we don't understand that you can't understand it. Yeah. Um, But the flip side of that is a lot of the stigma based around mental illness is that we don't perceive it as an illness in the same way that we do chronic illnesses like asthma or temporary illnesses like influenza, where Mm -hmm. in reality it bears more similarities to those things than whatever we've built up in our mind based on years of socio-emotional history around mental illness and you know, mania and some of these other terms, you know, craziness that we use yep. to apply to these sorts of things. Hysteria. Yeah. Um, and like breaking down those walls is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's one of the things that I like, I think it is why a lot of people really appreciate this show. Because it is difficult to talk about mental illness from a purely scientific standpoint mm. because it is so closely tied to so many of these socially emotional things. Yeah, it is emotional. Yeah, it is. It you is. Know? I think. Yeah, it's completely emotional. It's where you know, comparing it to to health, physical health. Um, you, we know that. If you take Tylenol, you'll feel better if you have a fever. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know that if I take uh, Xanax Mm -hmm. that I will feel happier (laughs) and calmer. But we do have a sense, and I think this is the thing that people overlook, we do have a sense that mental illness, especially chronic mental illness, Mm -hmm. is related to chemical imbalances in the brain. Mm-hmm. In the same way that a fever is related to some kind of chemical or biological imbalance in your body. 
Mm-hmm. And so there are uh, pharmacological, 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 pharmacolog, pharmaca, yeah, pharmacological. I've gotten in trouble yeah. for saying this word wrong a couple times. <laughs> um, ways that can affect that that we know mm-hmm. that are effective and successful, but they, unlike taking Tylenol for a fever, we don't prescribe, uh, you know. Uh, psychotic drugs without some therapy alongside of it because our brains mm-hmm. are complicated and things that we don't fully understand this is it do, do you know what i mean like we know the blood vessels of our body yeah you know what i mean we can map them we can't map the brain yeah we can we can make a vague estimation yeah but we don't really know what that thing does yeah well and like <laughs> uh, this is the thing i have learned and i find fascinating we know a lot about the brain um, mm-hmm. And, like, even some of the things that um, this musical approaches, like electroshock therapy and stuff, yep. it is effective because of how much we know about the brain. Yep. But the more we learn, the more we don't know. Exactly. The, the doors open up and they're, all the exceptions to the rules yeah. that get flung up open up all of these other doors and other possibilities and other questions. Exactly. Um, that we then try and answer. Uh, yeah, so I think, I think with Next to Normal... Um, I think a lot of people on the surface could think that it's about bipolar disorder or it's about right. schizophrenia. And that's, if you have that, you can relate. Yeah. And I completely disagree with that comment. Yeah. Um, I just think it is, it is about family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, because the thing is, is, no matter what family you have, yeah, at some point, someone will have difficulty yeah. with their own mental health. I would, I would even, you know, uh, raise you one that it is yeah. about mental health in a way that we all can relate to. In a way that, like, you can appreciate the movie Rocky even if you're mm-hmm. not a professional athlete. Like, I mean, I hate it. Sure. But yeah. Right. <laughs> like, if you, you know, anyone who has attempted Angels to run in the a, outfield. Sure. Angels in the... Right. Right. <laughs> you can appreciate the Olympics even not being a professional uh-huh. athlete, right? Yeah. You can appreciate more daily mental health issues even mm. if you're not someone with a chronic mental illness. Yeah, completely. But I think, I think the, the reason I say family is sure. because in some form or other... We have one. Yeah. Whether it's our chosen family or whether it is our mom and dad and our brother and our sister. Yeah. Um, we, we have one and uh, how they act affects us. Yeah. And we have feelings about that, which then causes them to feel something. Yeah. And I think next to normal is just a whole conversation about that in all of its shapes and forms. Yeah. Um, one of the things in particular... Uh, one of the sort of storylines, I guess, or, or themes uh, that it talks about that I f- I'm really passionate about and I, I find it incredible that they, they do talk about it is uh, the idea of a caregiver. Um, mm. And it's something that even in just a- across all fiction, nobody really talks about. Yeah. Nobody really examines this idea of the caregiver. Yeah. Um, which is just, is just an important part of any chronic illness yeah, as, as the illness itself. And because the illness is the, the sexy bit, 
Because right. that's the bit that's like, oh, there's interesting stuff going on there. Right. Uh, and there's hope, you know, there's a cure at the end of it. Yeah. The caregiver is the person who is having their own suffering. Right. And their own issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the time the caregiver hates it. They're yeah. angry. Oh, yeah. They're raging because they're like, why do you have this illness? Why do I need to take care of you? I was getting along. Abs- we were getting along absolutely fine. Absolutely. I think what's going on. One of the most. Um, moving parts of the show knowing its story is back at the very beginning and it's one Mm -hmm. you don't pick up quite on the cast recording but during just another day um the thing that shows us that we're not like there's a couple hints here and there that like Mm -hmm. we're not something's wrong here we don't know what but just another day is phrased as like we're a perfect loving family my son's shit but that's fine you know like that's everything's very frantically happy everything's (laughs) frantic exactly right he's a teenager you know my my daughter's a freak but they're they're kids and that's what that's like and you know i love my husband and then there's a couple things about like you know natalie you need to slow down i'm gonna have sex with your father and as an audience member you're like well that's a weird thing to say um you know but then the song concludes with um diana making lunches for everyone to go to work and she starts making these sandwiches and she continues making these sandwiches and when she runs out of room on the table to make sandwiches she starts making sandwiches on the floor and then she continues on and then dan has this beautiful set of moments where he Mm -hmm. says i'm gonna see if i can find it he says um diana so dan says sweetie is everything okay and diana says i wanted to get ahead on lunches and dan doesn't make a comment that's like, no, 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 you're an idiot, right? Mm -hmm. But he says, instead, sure, let me help you up. Mm -hmm. Diana says, I guess I got carried away. He says, maybe a little. Let's go see Dr. Fine. This is just a blip, okay? Nothing to worry about. I'll wrap up the uh, sandwiches, and then we'll go. And like... Not when you're just approaching the show, like that's our first introduction to like... (laughs) Yeah, that's their relationship. She might be what we consider crazy. Yeah. But to watch Dan have one of the first emotional moments of the show yeah. is so powerful as that caregiver, exactly. like how he's and coping. I think a lot of stories, what they would do with that is they'd be like, this is Diana's story. Right. We're going to focus on Diana and here's her support system. That's great, Dan. This is Diana's story. Yeah. And you miss out on how he's feeling. Yeah. But very quickly, we're four or five songs in, and then you start to hear from Dan. Mm-hmm. And you start to hear what he's thinking. Yeah. And he's asking, who's crazy? Is it me? Yeah. Why am I Am I the crazy one to be sticking around here? Yeah. Like, this is the, a horrible situation to be in. Why am I putting myself through this? Right. And these are all these, of course, these natural thoughts that any spouse, any family member, yeah. you know, uh, would have with when coping with mental illness or chronic illness, you know, yeah. it, it, it's just that. Um, and they're completely natural thoughts to have. They don't make you a bad person. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're just, they're, they're just, it's just what exactly what happens and nobody talks about it. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about a lot about like role models in, in theater and art and fiction in general mm-hmm. um, and having people to look up to. And I think there are so few caregiver role models where it's like ah 
I totally feel like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it just, it, it never gets discussed. And I think Dan, it, you know, it's not just one isolated moment. I feel like him and Diana work really well in parallel together through the show. You see their conflicts. Oh, yeah. Um, you see, you know, the difficulties of their relationship. They've, they've yeah. both gone through something so tragic together. Um, they deal with it in completely different ways. Right. Um, but Diana isn't coping well with it no and so he is forced to become yeah. her caregiver it is it is very much that like if you find yourself going through hell you have to keep going um, yes like there's it totally like th- this this listen through i had never given too much or previous listens i had never given too much mm. thought to i've been um which yeah, is the end yeah. of act one so much so that i had to right now look up the name of the song because i don't remember yeah. but it's it's dan's song um where he's talking about like what happens next um and like every day grows more and more absurd and the thing you miss out if you're not watching the show this is immediately after diana has attempted suicide um and this number is staged with dan like cleaning the blood off the floor yep and the the traditional artistic assumption for that moment would be to fill it with sorrow and keening and like wailing and like terrible terrible thought and to Mm -hmm. instead watch him be like gosh what happens next yeah what am i doing where do we go from here yeah you know and like certainly filled with mourning and grief and uncertainty but not like instead of being one note sorrow, there is something yeah. much more it, multi-flavored here. It doesn't labor the point. He says she's been hurt, and how? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's a very you know blase way to talk about suicide. Yeah, but as a caregiver, you can't dwell on it. You can't be like, oh, you know, because you know that you need to clean right. up the floor. You need to sort the house out because you've got a child. Right. You know, you got to um, move on and figure out what happens next. You absolutely do. Um, and I think so. I'm just, I'm just really obsessed with Dan as a character. I think he's such an incredible character. All, I mean, all the characters in the show are fantastic. But yeah. Um, yeah, Dan in particular, because his own mental health journey yeah. is something that uh, you might not even really notice on yeah. your first experience of the show, I think, yeah. necessarily. Um, but when you kind of go back and you realise, oh my God, the man is uh, de- depressed for the whole show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is not coping with his grief. He's not facing up to it. No. And it is affecting him. Yeah. It is one of, I think it might be one of my favorite instrumental musical moments in all mm. of musical theater. Um, at the end of I Am The One Reprise, at the very, very end, which is when mm-hmm. we learn Gabriel's name. Um, yep. And Dan says his name, Gabe mm-hmm. Gabriel, and Gabe goes, hi, dad. And the music goes, and hits this like minor chord at the end yeah. it's not like so like dun 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 minor chord yeah but it doesn't it's not like it also doesn't hopefully end on a major chord um yep. and it is this you know i worry about dan at the end of the show well of course in legitimate in legitimate ways like are you yep. the fact that now you're seeing gabe are you about to start your own version of psychosis well, that's it. But it, what's it's so incredibly written because Gabe is in a lot of Dan's songs. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time he's just doing backing. A lot of the time he's just going, ah, you know. Right. Um, but in I Am The One, mm-hmm. uh, he, 
yes, it's kind of a duet between um, Diana and Dan, mm-hmm. and then Gabe is obviously with Diana. Yeah. But uh, he sings along with Dan. Yeah. Do you know I mean? It, he's a part of Dan's song. Yeah. And it's so well written that it's like just this hint. It's like the, he's there. He's, he's, he's both of them there. Right. Um, and then we get to the end and yeah. we realise that Dan is finally facing up to his grief because, you know, it's Gabe that says, until you uh, name me, you can't tame me. Yeah. This idea. And then suddenly Dan names him. Yeah. Dan is starting the progress, the process of coping with yeah. his grief. There, After 16 years, you know? There's this great dichotomy built in that Diana, you know, hasn't said Natalie's name until after weeks of therapy. And Gabe yep. spends the entire show not looking – or sorry, Dan spends the entire show not looking at Gabe or acknowledging yep. him or saying his name. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, is Diana's psycho- psychosis about Gabe or is it about – Dan's non-acknowledgement of Gabe. Yeah, because she she gets angry at him. You know, she she's begging him. What was his name? Tell me his name. You need to face up to this. Yeah, um, and he doesn't because he just doesn't think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, even even and, early on in the um, Natalie Henry scene when mm-hmm. um, Diana comes out with the birthday cake and is like, "Whose birthday yeah. is it?" and it's Natalie who says, "It's my brother. He died before I was born." Dan doesn't say anything. Dan doesn't nope. acknowledge it. Dan doesn't talk about it. Like, that is a, a hard line he has drawn in his brain. And it's the sort of thing that, like, of course, of course that's where it is. But it is so mm-hmm. subtly written that unless you're looking for it, you don't notice it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it kind of glances off. And uh, the way... So it's, it's interesting to say that you worry about Dan because I kind of feel the opposite. Is I feel like it... I do think there is a, almost a cyclical thing where mm-hmm. when Diana takes the makes the decision to take a bit of control of her own life and go and just try and be away from everything. Um, That is the time when Dan has the breathing space to (laughs) accept and look at his grief because he's alone for the first time. But then his role as a caregiver gets passed on to Natalie, who's been so scared of getting involved in her own family, this whole show. And then suddenly she takes this, active decision in supporting her dad switching on the light the most simple thing yeah but being like no do you know what let's open the curtains a bit let's get some light in here and start to feel a bit yeah. better when, when and here is this caregiver again yeah when she has that conversation about like i don't need a life that's normal it's the you know it's the wink moment it's the like here's yeah. the title i just something next to normal could be okay yep and like we can you know it's one of my favorite lines in the show um uh let me see if i can find it um, maybe we can't be okay. Maybe we're tough and we'll try anyway. Yeah. Like I, I get choked up saying it out loud just right now. Like yeah. what a, what a powerful and important sentiment that is still not an happily ever after. Um, no, not at all. Like it's not, it's not a, it is hopeful on one level and very not hopeful on another level. And yeah. it it is like a judge of your coping mechanism, which like how you can convince your brain for it to be a hopeful statement. Yeah, because it's it, it, it. That's the thing, and I think that's such a trait of kind of modern musical theater, mm-hmm. and I I mean modern in the sense of post sixties. Yeah, uh, because 
you know, happy endings, right? Quote as we know them, yeah. aren't interesting, really. No. And aren't, <laughs> they're nice. And aren't what life is like. You know, no, we don't we don't get to end with a curtain call. Um, you know, we we I think as humans have decided we're going to chapterize our stories into these discrete moments, and we do it all the time, mm-hmm. both through mm-hmm. art and just in the way we talk about our life. But that's mm-hmm. not how life exists. Um, and like next to normal takes a chapterized slice of light and life and challenges that notion that there is a beginning and an end to the story. Totally. Um, it does it very well. It does it very well. It's very moving. It doesn't make me happy. Does this show make you happy? Yeah, it, it does actually. Yeah. Um, I love it deeply. And I think it's, that's the thing is it, I'm not leaving like, ah, oh, what a romp. Yeah. Um, at all, obviously, but I think it's really full of hope. This is, um, and I, re- I kind of depend on it for that, you know. Yeah, sure. I think it was interesting delving into the show a little deeper because it's one of those what like I'll put next to normal on in the car and like, mm, yeah, <laughs> great songs. This sing is along awesome. to it, all love the to time, listen constantly. to, right? Yeah. And like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna sing along to the post suicide song. How what a what a great bop. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that's that's the way it's tricked my brain. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Diana has a line in the show. It's something like, um, one of the doctors is asking her, you know, when was the last time she was happy or, you know, uh, he, he asks, is there a difference between being happy and yes. thinking you were happy? And yes. she says, most people who think they're happy haven't just thought about it enough. Um, and this is one of those shows that the more I think about it, the less happy it makes me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because I think... It, because the story and it's because of these caregiver characters yeah you know that's where the hope lies is that there's always someone sure there's always someone there and whether that person is yourself yeah whether you are diana at the end and you have been through everything yeah and you're like do you know what i'm gonna leave right i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna see how i do she makes the decision to become her own caregiver in the end Exactly. It's incredible. And it's a completely valid decision to make. Yeah. Because sometimes you do know best. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, but that's, that's the limbo that the show leaves in is like, you don't know that she's going to be better off this way. No, not at all. Not at all. But, uh, you know, maybe we can't be okay, but maybe we're tough and we'll try anyway. Yeah, I know. That's why it's such, you know, and that's, that's it. That's why not? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that, that kind of gives me hope with this show is that it's like, there's always an option. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that there has to be that totally. mo- moving forward must be an option. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing I'd actually legitimately struggle with a lot on a pretty regular basis there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I teach teenagers and teenagers nowadays like there's science behind this they have more suicidal ideation than peers of their past like Mm -hmm. more high schoolers nowadays contemplate suicide than high schoolers when we were that age Mm -hmm. um and there's a whole you know uh, cultural socio uh uh you know it's a it's a swamp of why that might be happening um and it doesn't matter i still got to deal with it as a high school teacher um and like sorting through that, slumming through that, feeling like you don't know the answers or that you might have done something wrong, um, mm-hmm. is 
just really emotionally taxing and in a mm-hmm. way that you know there you know the best most comforting thing people can say to you is that there is no right answer uh, i know right and that's not comforting at all <laughs> not at all until you can process that until right. you can accept that that like we'll try anyway uh, yeah exactly um it's so it's difficult to appreciate particularly yeah. when you're so used to answers and you want answers yeah. when you're in that kind of, when you're in the Dan phase of like, yeah. why isn't this working? Why aren't we, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And you're Diana being like, I don't really care if this doesn't work. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I think, I think it is a, it's a really interesting point, but again, I, I think it comes back to caregivers because yeah. no care. There's no caregiver training. There's no like, Oh yeah, I've, uh, I've got 10 years as a caregiver. Uh, you right. might be, when it's someone you don't know, when right. you work in care. Yeah. And my gosh, those people do incredible jobs and yeah. incredible work. Um, but it's a completely different story when it's your family. Yeah, when it happens to you by accident, when it's not your evocation. Like, I think even if, you know, say you Absolutely. Work, you're a doctor, you work in a nursing home or something, like, one, you've made that choice, and two, mm-hmm. you have some, like, professional disassociation that you can use. And It's your job. And certainly not to disassociate it. Like, there, there are, you know, I know plenty of doctors who, like, need... To like hospitals are built with rooms where doctors can go cry because that's yeah. important to the success of the hospital. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, spoiler alert, schools are built with rooms where teachers can go cry. Like <laughs> yeah. these things exist because we know the, the, you know, the, the inmates can't see the, 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 uh, the guards crying wherever yeah. we are in that metaphor. Um, but when you stumble into it, when you're forced into it, especially if yeah. you are a family member, like you're someone like Dan, who you're, yeah. you got lucky that you're not the one who has succumbed to this mm-hmm. depressive bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. But you totally could have. Nature nurture mm-hmm. wise, you were right in the same spot. But you, you know, the coin flipped, and like that's the that's the thesis of who's crazy, right? That's the yeah, like who is the crazy one in this moment. And that's when we get to the end. Dan is coping with his own stuff. Yeah. He's, it's different stuff. Yeah. It's still his own stuff. Yeah. And he still needs help. Yeah, he still needs and help. It's, and he gets that help. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it's there, so well balanced. <laughs> there is a great moment after um, uh, Diana leaves mm-hmm. um, where Dan sees Diana's doctor and has this question... He asks her something. He asks him something along the lines of like, "Are you still seeing her? Is she still seeing you?" Yeah. Um, you know, I know you can't say how she's doing, and the doctor does what doctors should do. He doesn't say anything because that's where we live. But then the next thing he says to Dan is like, "Would you like me to recommend someone for you?" Yeah, and like that's so powerful in that moment hmm. to be like, "Hey, you, you look, you need help." Yeah, you, you pro- ex- yeah. You probably it's, it's, needed help before. <laughs> that's it. But it's, it's not even like it's not even you need help. It's like help is there if you need it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you're allowed to be helped. That's and better- I think that's the thing is with caregivers. Yeah. Um, that that's not something that can often come in their radar. Yeah. Is that they're allowed to have fun. They're allowed to laugh. Yeah. They're allowed to. One even uh, feel like crap. Like, I, I think that's such a powerful statement you are allowed to be helped yeah that i wish i could give other people like that's natalie's you know 
through line through this whole thing. Like she feels so trapped and stuck in her like in her existence and in the world she's created for herself where she needs to get out. And so yeah. then goes totally nuclear and starts abusing her mom's drugs and going to raves and like having all sorts of disassociative moments um, in a way that makes Henry really, really worried. And like, (laughs) he's there to be like, you know, let, let me, let me know you again. Let me figure out who you are. Let, let me help you. And she is so Mm -hmm. resistant to that, resistant to that because she seems to have this opinion about like, I don't deserve help because I did this to myself. Yeah, it's it's like I'm under control of it. Right. It's that kind of idea. It's like I know me. Yeah. I've decided and I don't want to be that. Exactly. So I've decided to me. set the house on fire, so how dare you ask if I need help putting it out? Exactly. Um and yeah. It, it's okay. It's such a great show. It is such a great show and a and one that you know, they even it is fascinating to me, even just some of the like uh Gabe is reading Catcher in the Rye at one point. Natalie yeah. makes a Flowers for Algernon reference, like Tommy, their names. Oh, it's the characters' oh, names. Yeah. No, for sure. Diana is a goddess of women mm-hmm. and strength. Yeah. <laughs> right? And here is Diana. Right. The this woman who is, you know, trying to find strength. Um Daniel, uh I can't remember. It's like, it's, it's something like, it's like a helper of God. It's mm. that kind of, you know what I mean? So here's Diana, the God, Daniel, helper of God. Um, yeah. uh, Gabe, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, the person who foretells, right. he comes in. The first thing he says is, um, uh, the world will feel my power and obey. Yeah. <laughs> it's this deific well, thing. Doesn't my, my Catholic school teachings escape me in this moment, but doesn't Gabriel appear to, to Daniel? Daniel? Um, yes, he does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's really, I mean, who knows if it's intentional? I'm sure it is. Uh, I'm sure it is. It, it kind of has to be. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, that's, um, that's Brian Yorkie. If you look at some of his other stuff, he's, he's you know, he's no idiot. <laughs> yeah, he is very much God is in the detail. You yeah. know, that that's the way he works. Yeah. Um, but even just like uh, little things, like Diana, the fact that she's called die mm-hmm. a lot, like having that repeated die, 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 yeah. die. You're like, ah, hang on. <laughs> like, uh you hear that, you yeah. know what I mean? No, absolutely. You really start to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and then, it's, you know, Henry, I've never met a Henry who's not a stoner. Um, so. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> what about Thomas the Tank Engine's friend, Henry? Have you seen him? That's true. He, he is green. Oh, no, I think, no, I think he is green because Percy's red. Oh. So there you go. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There was a time when I flew higher. Was a time the wild girl running free would be me. Now I see her face. 
dried up all my tears And while she runs free and fast Seems my wild days are past But I miss the mountains I miss the dizzy heights All the manic magic days the dark, depressing nights. I miss the mountains. I miss the highs and lows. All the climbing, all the falling. All the while the wild wind blows, stinging you with snow and soaking you with rain. I miss the mountains. I miss the pain. So this is a Pulitzer Prize winning musical, but there's some controversy around that centered around some of the standards of how Pulitzers are won. Yes. Tell me more because I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Tell me more. Why did it win a Pulitzer? It doesn't scan. It, I, could have, <laughs> I could have worked that. Although but. I say Pulitzer, but I've heard people say Pulitzer. Um, which I exaggerate a little bit. I think Pulitzer is more correct. Pulitzer. In the same way I think that I'm sure... Oh, do you know a thing I learned that made me feel better about myself? Do you know how mm. I never how, know how to say Aaron Tvet's last name? Mm-hmm. Um, in doing research for this, I, found, I watched first Next to Normal at the Tonys. Um, right. Have you see, watched it recently? Do you remember who introduces it? Uh, do you mean... Wait, oh, as in... Wait, do you mean the opening when it's him and Stockard chatting? No. Um, okay. Who introduces the next normal performance? No, I can't remember. No. Uh, it's. Uh, of course, if you're trying to remember someone. <laughs> I know, right? Of course, I can't. Um, uh, it is introduced by Carrie Fisher. Um, oh, I do remember that. And yes. she has this great moment about like a mother's psychosis and the effects it has on her family, and then like does a like uh, you know arrested or a, a Jim Halpert stare into the camera. Um, but then at the very – she, like, bumbles the transition into the thing, and she uh-huh. says something like, and now uh, the cast of Next to Normal, including the cast of Next to Normal. Um, and they start. And, like, I've watched this a couple times been like, that. wow, what happened? Like, was this a teleprompter thing? Like, you know, what yeah. – and, like, whatever. But someone posted a, a phone video of the Tony's – uh, rehearsal of that moment. Right. And Carrie Fisher bumbles on Aaron Tvet's name and goes, wow. and now introducing the cast of Next to Normal, Aaron Tvet, Tvet, Aaron Aaron Tvet, and Alice Ripley, and whoever the dad is, Jay, whatever is Jay Robert Spencer. Jay Robert Spencer. And like watching that. And then seeing her bumble it on the telecast, I'm sure it was her in that moment being like, I'm not confident enough in this name. But I've already said the beginning. Yeah, I've committed to something. So, But I need to say something else. Um, yeah, and you can't say two, but not the third. Right. So. Um, and so it gives me a little minor hope in <laughs> my inability exactly. to pronounce people's names. But particularly his name. Yeah, I feel bad about, I always feel bad about name stuff. We should be able to pronounce each other's names. Um, 
It's just a particular yes. struggle I have. But anyway, it's okay. the Pulitzer. The Pulitzer. The Pulitzer. Um, rarely awarded to musicals. Can you name all mm-hmm. eight? Nine? Nine, maybe now? Uh, no, but I remember that Fiorello is one of them. I know. Isn't that one of the weird ones? Um, yeah. Let me pull up the list here. We d- I think we've talked about them before. Uh, can I remember them? No. I bet I you can get... Let me, let me see I if I can get, get a few. I bet you can get most of them. So, obviously, Hamilton, Next to Normal, yep. uh, Rent. Yep. They are the, the most recent three? Most recent three. Great. Um, How to Succeed? Uh, yep. That's four. Guys and Dolls? Uh, didn't win it. Guys and Dolls did not win. No, it didn't. And there was a controversy there. That's right. Um, Fiorello. Fiorello, that's fine. Uh, go. Uh, Sunday in the Park. Ah, oh, do you know, yeah. that wasn't on my radar. Fascinating. Huh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't know if I agree with that, but you go. <laughs> 76, a chorus line. Oh, of course. Yep. Um, and then the two that I didn't think you would get, 1950 South Pacific, um, and then South Pacific. So I knew there was an R and H. Yes, but I couldn't remember which one. That's the one. South Pacific. And then okay. 1932, uh, the Gershwin of the I Sing, which of the I Sing. Yeah. What did I say? Uh, you said how to succeed. 110 or, no, in the shade. You said 110 Completely in the shade. Um, and then you also said Guys and Dolls, which Guys and Dolls didn't win, but How to Succeed did. Uh, yes. Because Guys and Dolls didn't win. Yes, exactly. Um, Listen to our How to Succeed podcast if you want to know more. But, and, uh, Next to Normal is one of only three musicals, including Sunday in the Park and of the Ice Sing, that won the Pulitzer but did not win the Tony Award for Best Musical, um, which is also a fascinating thing when that happens. Yeah. Um, but the controversy specifically with Next to Normal, and it is hard to kind of pin down some of the trappings of this, because mm-hmm. unlike the Tonys, where a lot of their... Um, nomination and voting is pretty public and pretty uh policy and rules based the pulitzer is a little less so um it's kind of just a decision in the same way that like the nobel prize is Um, yeah but the the gist of the story is there is an advisory committee that recommends to the pulitzer committee here are some things we think might deserve the pulitzer for drama Mm -hmm. they did their recommendations in 2010 and then next to normal one but next to normal was nowhere in any of their recommendations yeah um and sorry i just made a face that, that, that was <laughs> it reads really well on podcasts an audible reaction there um, it was the noise would have been huh yeah and there's a, a couple pieces of there's a couple uh, now archived like Wall Street Journal articles and stuff where people don't, you know, people on the Pulitzer nominating committee can't and don't talk about their process or their list or anything, rightly so, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to know that you lost. This is a different kind of thing than the Tonys. It's supposed to be about literature and art and not about merit and production. Um, yeah. But a couple and people. politics. Exactly. But a couple, a couple people on the committee came out and were like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute um and there is precedent for this um the same a similar thing happened with rabbit hole for the pulitzer okay. prize for drama um but the you know a lot of the discussion around it is some of the same things we talk about 
is this uh, the the assumption made by people on the nominating committee was that mm-hmm. people on the voting committee committee lived in New York, had seen and knew Next to Normal and liked it. Yes, yes. and a lot of the other things on the list were not New York centric productions. Yes, and so it started to draw into question: Must drama and musical theater specifically live in New York? Mm-hmm. For it to maintain any kind of artistic merit, um, right? Which I think is a hot button discussion. That is, that's it's almost kind of disappointing. Yeah, uh, but I don't care. It still deserves it. Sure, but it is because no one was surprised, other than these other people, than people who were like, "We didn't see that." Of course, uh, it also you wouldn't be because it, it is just. Whereas with how to succeed, right? That's a different story. Yeah. Well, it does. One of the other things that was more of a, a footnote in one of these uh, articles, but I do find fascinating. Yeah. They brought up, um, usually, the Pulitzer considers new works and recent works. Yes. Next to normal, played off Broadway years prior. Yes, that's why I thought the... the um the controversy would have come from sure like can you judge the new one and this is you know the tonys gets into hot water about this over revival yeah, of all course the time. yeah um and the idea is you know like one of the other interesting things is i think uh about the pulitzer for drama mm-hmm. in theory it's a literature award mm-hmm. it should go towards the best you know literary w- written play um mm-hmm. far as i can tell no unproduced play has ever won it. Interesting. Which is, you know, is that the cart before the horse? Is for a, yeah, a show to be that. good enough to win a Pulitzer, it probably will be produced? Or yeah. is that an unspoken requirement? Yeah, interesting. So... I guess... Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would... Yeah. Yeah. I'd be surprised, because how would it be... No, because theatre... Mm-hmm. Or drama... Uh, is visual. Sure. But generally speaking, the award goes to the playwright, not to, say, the producer or the director. Absolutely. But you write it for a stage. Yes. Sure. Because I could write the most fanciful thing that would never work in a stage. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that shouldn't win the Pulitzer Prize for drama. Sure. I... Does that make you know what I mean? Because it's like it, it doesn't work. Yeah, as the as the literature that you're making. Otherwise, why not just make it a novel? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it like needs there, to work for stage, and I guess the only way the proof medium. to be in that pudding. Yeah, it would need to the pudding would need to be right brought out to the table. I don't know where I was going with that analogy, <laughs> but yeah. But that do, that does make sense. It is mm. just an interesting. I say it like. I agree that Next to Normal deserved it. I agree that we shouldn't be New York-centric with our theater production. 100%. But it is an interesting underbelly. You know, I haven't exactly crunched the numbers, but I do wonder how many Pulitzer Prizes for drama were given to plays that were currently or recently playing in New York. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Certainly plenty of them. Um if not the vast majority of them. Yeah. And, you know, 
speaking to one of the underpinnings of our podcast like yeah but then i guess it's like it's just another award isn't it right exactly like a lot of this what does it mean right and the the pulitzer certainly has more i think appropriate literal prestige than something like a tony where it is certainly prestigious but it's also kind of a popularity contest um yeah where the pulitzer i think their committee is a little more fine-tuned um yes at the end of the day it's another award you're right it's another opinion yeah yeah absolutely that's a good way to put it another Mm. opinion Mm -hmm. i would have given the pulitzer to jekyll and hyde (laughs) that's not true I would never do that. Well, next to normal loss to Billy Elliot at the Tonys. We're, yeah. What do you did, think about it? that? So, um, I, it's tricky because I don't want to talk too much about Billy Elliot. Sure. Until we talk about Billy Elliot, because yeah. that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Um, because to me, Billy Elliot winning was a really big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was Slim Pickens that year. Yeah, it was up against, they were both up against Shrek and rock of ages Shrek, pal- yeah uh-huh. um and you know it, it wasn't gonna be it wasn't gonna be shrek yeah it absolutely wasn't gonna be rock of ages right um billy elliot is fantastic yeah it's absolutely incredible but it's british as it as anything mm-hmm. and in a bit not even in a sense of um it's set in Britain. Right. The content of Billy Elliot is British. Is like it's our. It's not our Hamilton, but it talks about like deep rooted British politics. Oh yeah, absolutely. And y'all don't really know much about that. <laughs> Do no. you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean a lot. So, of what, a lot of what I know about it is from Billy Elliot. It's from Billy Elliot, exactly. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, I was really surprised because next to normal, yeah, feels quite american yeah sure. not that it's solely american yeah we have ect over here we have mental health issues over here right you know um we have mental health issues in germany and australia right. and japan you know um it, whereas you know billy is so so i, I was just surprised i don't know maybe it's elton john well i i think that i think maybe it was elton john is actually not a thing to dismiss because i do yeah. think there is you know it's best musical we're not defining what best means mm-hmm. um but i do think there is at least maybe in 2009, there mm-hmm. was a bit of a conceit about what a musical is that, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned, Next to Normal was starting to push. Mm-hmm. Billy Elliot is much more a traditional musical than Next to Normal. It yeah, certainly pushes the envelope in a bunch of ways, but like Next to Normal was never going to win for best choreography. Um, barely has choreography. <laughs> yeah. Right? Whereas yeah, Billy true. Elliot, for sure. And if you count choreographed dance numbers as a hallmark of musical theater mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then billy elliott fits more into that cookie cutter of what we think a piece of musical theater is and not that i think that is explicitly what people are voting on but i yeah i imagine there's something there yeah i think that's true because it is the triple threat yes like it's got opportunities for all three yeah yeah you're right you're right take a look at the invisible girl here she is, clear as the day. Please look closely and find her before she fades away. Superboy and the Invisible Girl, son of steel and daughter of air. He's a hero, a lover, a prince. She's not there. She's not there. She's not there. She's 
they worked on this show for like a decade. Mm-hmm. That I mean, I think it shows, um, and I think publicly for a decade. Some some shows certainly have ten years of writing living on a piece of paper or in someone's trunk. Yeah, but not yeah. you know there are bootlegs of the off Broadway workshop of this thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder as well if there's anywhere floating around because so next to normal started as a, a sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, about electroshock therapy, yeah, um, electroconvulsive therapy. Sorry, um, which I found really fascinating, and it was called Feeling Electric, yeah, which carried on as the title for quite a long time, yeah. Um, and then they were like, "Oh, let's start fleshing this out. Let's yeah. let's see how we get on." And then it eventually became a, a full blown thing. Um, I, I, I but do, yeah, so th- I do think it is. It is the beginning, as we talked like Next to Normal is the foundation for a lot of contemporary musical theater. I think also in this way that like we get to see more drafts nowadays. And mm-hmm. Next to Normal was a big example of that. Um, not, yeah. not in any kind of negative or judgmental way, but just more of a, an acknowledgement that like the best way to know if your musical is good is to put it in front of people. But sometimes you have to put it in front of people when you know it's not ready yet. Yeah. Absolutely. When you know there's the mistakes. Yeah. And like the there. the Off-Broadway workshop, lots of people liked it. Lots of people did not. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why like it didn't then immediately transfer to Broadway. They were like, we got yeah. to hold on. Um, we got to do some work on this. Yeah, it, And they changed quite a lot. So, um, cause, so obviously I, I despise bootlegs and I really I don't condone them in any way, shape or form. Um, but I have watched one bootleg in my life. I will, I will see it. I will yeah. admit it on the air. Um, and I watched the next to normal off-Broadway bootleg. I'm mm-hmm. ruining theatre. Yeah. Uh, single-handedly. Um, but I watched that and it, because it was so strange because obviously I was so used to uh, the 2009 Broadway recording. Right. That when I was like, hang on, there's yeah. other songs. Yeah. <laughs> and I songs. thought, yeah. in my head, because I didn't really know what I was watching. Um, so in my head, I thought this was like added in during Broadway. And I was like, how come mm. I've not heard? I can't believe this. Da, da, da. Right. And then a research told me that I was. You're like, no, uh, no, wrong. no. This is what they cut. Yeah. Yeah. What did you. The. Because I. The. <laughs> disclosure. I have watched the Broadway bootleg of this. Oh, um, you are ruining theater. I know. I'm a terrible human being. It's really good. Um. What did you think of this pre-Broadway tryout? Because uh, the reason I ask is because critics didn't like it. Yeah, it's not hugely different. Okay. In terms of staging. Yeah. In terms of uh, uh, book. Yeah. It's not vastly different. Sure. Um, the song Feeling Electric is a bop. Yeah. It feels completely out of place. They the The stuff I've read talks a lot about... Between off Broadway, then it's out of town. Well, out of town, Washington D.C. Well, Virginia, confusing. It was, it was yes. at Arena Stage, which is based in Washington D.C., but their main theater was closed, so they were in Virginia because Washington D.C. is tiny. <laughs> anyway, um, the a lot of the talk about the resi- revisions s- revolve around centering the story much more around Diana mm-hmm. um, and making it a more intimate, personal piece of musical theater. As a po- and like the things they say are like cutting out a lot of big show numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, which feeling electric is exactly that yeah uh, yeah completely and to replace it with wish i were here yeah. is the best move anyone could ever have made ever ever mm-hmm. um because that's a, a sensational song yeah that adds 
leaps and bounds to the whole story. Do you know my favorite thing about Wish I Were Here that I didn't know till I watched the bootleg, but I feel I can divulge in this moment? Um, no. So Wish I Were Here opens Act 2. Diana's yes. getting her electroconvulsive therapy. Yes. And, th- like, and that was the plot point that we left you at intermission with, right? So you're waiting for this. And the whole thing starts, and they wheel Diana on stage, and like, there's some like deep moments and sound effects and stuff. Um, and then the music starts, and Alice Ripley walks on on one of the yeah. upper catwalk yeah. things. And you're like, yeah. oh, that's, a, that's not her. That's not her in the bed asleep. She's, yeah. she's up there. And like that, oh, it's why I like this is an easy theater trick, but it's so effective. Like, I know we love a body double. <laughs> you, you got me. You got me in that moment, and I'm right there with the metaphor. Like you're not there. You're here. I wish I were here. Um, All I'll say is wait till company. Oh, I that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give you any more. Anyway, um, yes, it, it, it's a fantastic replacement because it it bringing Natalie into the mix, yeah. and telling this part of her story and how. You know, she's paralleled with Diana, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, they have a bonding moment in Diana's psyche. Like, come on, that right. is good stuff. Yeah, no, it's good. It is. So I have watched the the original opening number had a different name. It was called Let There Be Light or There Will Be the Light. The original finale was called Let Let There Be Light. And it was and would have would have been a reprise because a lot of those themes are in the opening number. Most of the opening number stays rem- remarkably the same but is Mm. more of a company piece whereas now the written version is diana being like we're a family i'm the narrator it's my story here we go it's much more big 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 right um but one of the changes in what became it's another day the line that is currently what doesn't kill me doesn't kill me used to be the line it is playing on what doesn't kill me makes me stronger Mm. um and like I had a, I had already always assumed that what doesn't kill me doesn't kill me was a play on what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. But it is one of those microcosms of like I can build that conversation in the writer's room in my mind where they're like our story is not a story about what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. Our story is a story about like what doesn't kill me makes me not dead right now. Yeah. And so um, it- we need to play on that. Totally. It's a cool one, actually, because I think what doesn't kill me makes me stronger has its own place. Sure. Because it's the biggest cliche of all cliches. Yeah. And this is a family of people not admitting anything. Right. Um, But uh, it doesn't really... Yeah, what doesn't kill me doesn't kill me is just better lyricism. Yeah. It's better lyricism. You know what I mean? I think it fits the story better, too. It's Mm -hmm. like... There's not, in the way that we are exploding some of these, you know, stereotypes about these things, not what doesn't, the implication of what doesn't kill me makes me stronger is that, like, if we're talking about what the lesson in that metaphor is, is like, mm-hmm. life's full of hardship and you build upon it. Yeah. And hardship is good for you and standard because yeah. it makes you stronger. And to turn that metaphor on the head to say like, no, 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 no. hardship happens and it's hardship Yep. And that's all we exactly. have to say. Yeah. And it's, yeah, because it's not till the finale that we get this idea of actually there will be light. Right. <clears throat> we can have this. We can allow positivity. Right. And feel stronger out of it. So, right. yeah, to have that lesson said in your opening. Yeah. Kind of defeats your purpose. Because this is kind not a purpose, show yeah. about. No one at the end of the show is thankful that they went through this ordeal. Mm hmm. 
whereas that happens in lots of other shows. Um, yeah. And I think is an appropriate moral sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. you see life much brighter if you've spent more time in the darkness, mm-hmm. which could be a moral of the show. But it is not saying that, like, the only way to see a bright life is through darkness, is through mm-hmm. hardship. It's saying, like, sometimes mm-hmm. darkness happens, and it, it is terrible. And there's no moral beyond that. Mm-hmm. We can ignore, like, the moral is sadness is sad. Mm-hmm. Grief is grief. It's inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in, in, this is life. Not, yeah. not deal with it, but that, like, you can deal with it even that yeah exactly too, too positive of a light on it i think for me no now, i think no i think that is it i think that is because that's the ending of inside out sorry to make it all about inside out sure um some of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> uh but that's the thing is it's like when you embrace sadness yeah you lead a better life yeah that's fair i th- i think even i think that is certainly the moral of inside out i think next to normal even doesn't go that far um mm-hmm. because it never says like it, it, there is an implication because it's a piece of musical theater and they cannot break from that form entirely. Yes. Like, this still ends with let there be light. You know, they don't quite get to the point of kick lining, but they're all smiling by the time <laughs> the current call happens. Um, which is, you know, I think very few musicals have embraced a sad or terrifying ending. Um, and I'd love all of them for it. Um, we look to you, Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> I know. Or, well, or Sweeney Todd. Um you know, he kills Mrs. Lovett. This is terrible. Watch out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and it's horror, so I think it can yeah. live up to that little more horror thriller. But remember, Sweeney Todd is political theater. It's Brechtian. Jekyll Hyde sure. is as naturalistic as they come, Tommy. So. I, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> what's-his-face would tell you no different. What's his name? David Hasselhoff? Um, David Hasselhoff would certainly tell you no different. Oh, I think man. you could probably remember that he did that I... uh, at some point. One of these days, we'll talk more about. Jekyll yeah, we're not Hyde. talking about Jekyll and Hyde right now. Um, um, but actually, like- speaking of good lyrics, <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. The opposite of um, Leslie Brickes uh, is Brian Yorkie, um, and the, just uh, the lyrics in this show, yes, are unreal. They're- and it's interesting because I was thinking, like. Uh, what are other really good lyrics? And I was like, obviously, you know, Sondheim and then yeah. Hamilton. But they're and- not... Brian Yorkie isn't clever the same way Lin-Manuel Miranda and Sondheim are clever. Exactly. It's not the... It's not the wordplay. It's not the, like, ha ha ha, look how smart I am. Right. Which definitely, you know, we're not dissing either of them, but they're 100% both guilty of. They love the fact that they're extremely right. intelligent people. Listen, listen to this, great. you know, th- lyric that I've spent hours writing that is going to seem effortless, but I've put so much time in. We're like, yeah. there's a song in the show which starts with Diana singing, So Anyway I'm Leaving. Yeah, exactly. Right? That, it, it is a different kind of poetry. It is a yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Um, it's remarkable lyricism. And what I find really interesting, I've had f- four or five different conversations with people who hate the lyrics of this show. They think the lyrics are awful. And fascinating. It is fascinating, Tommy. And this is I'm opening up this up to the listeners. Sure. Um, we know that we know that our listeners want us to talk about this. Yeah. Um, so you know, I imagine we're not going to get much back from this. But <laughs> I want to know: Do any of you think the lyrics in this are like? And it's not even like, oh yeah, they're fine. It's like, no, they're actively bad. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand that. And I'm like, 
I respect you less <laughs> for thinking I, that. I do think, I mean, this, this speaks to um, Sondheim's discussion about poeticism in lyrics. And mm-hmm. that, like, you can't write a poem with your lyrics because the poem is the music. And so mm-hmm. then you've got, like, double poem and it seems far too romanticized. Yeah. Um, and, like, if any show needs to be the opposite of that, it's this show. Uh, yeah, of course. And I do think the lyrics in this are very, very pedestrian, um, which I could see how that would make them seem lazy. Yeah. But, like, you know. When you listen to it. Even, like, you play till the strings or your fingernails break. Um, mm-hmm. It's got an internal rhyme. It's got a Sondheim-esque internal rhyme right there. Um, Absolutely. It's such a great comparison. Um, it is filled with, like, I get, a, I get a feeling about that. You know, my, my fingers cringe thinking about that thought. Um, yeah. Like, and all through the show, it's, and, like, stuff that I think part of the show, like, uh... You know, didn't I see this movie with McMurphy and the nurse? Um, yep. I'm not going to help you through that reference. You know, I'm not. Yeah. I am not going to hold your hand through that. You got it or you didn't. And we're gone. No, we literally say cuckoo's nest. If you don't get it, you're not going to get it. Right. It's past it. And in a it's way not for you, <laughs> in a way that I think is different than something like Hamilton, which is chock-a-block full of references. Um, uh-huh. But Hamilton eases you into that and is like you're gonna get some of these and not some of the other ones but that's okay because that's how it works yeah whereas next to normal it certainly doesn't shame you for mixing for missing some of its few references but it doesn't hold your hand through it at all yeah not at all um it's yeah i don't i just think it's it's it is it feels at times like lyrical genius because um the for example the break and I mean, uh, to be honest, all of the lyrics in the break are sensational. Yeah, uh, but the idea, um, this idea of uh, what happens when the cast at last comes off, and then you find the break was always in another bone. Oh, it's um, when the burn is healed and the skin is not regrown. So it's this is kind of what we were talking about earlier about the pairing of physical health uh-huh. and mental health. mental health. There's nothing different here. Yeah, right. There's nothing different between these hells yeah. other than what we know yeah. and the questions and the, it might work. Right. We'll give it a go. Yeah. We'll keep trying, yeah. you know? And the fear that people have when it comes to psychiatric treatment or psycho- uh, pharmacological treatment, like um, it's, it's so real and it's completely genuine because yeah. it, it is still new. It's still a, an area of science that we're exploring um, and it's so to capture that in a sort like what yeah. an interesting and incredible cap- thing to write to a song about. Capture it in a way from Diana's perspective, like and uh-huh. with such lyrical genius and effortlessness. Like they told me that the wiring was somehow all misfiring. Already, we yep. got a great rhyme there. It's yep. screwing up the signals in my brain. Yep. And then they told me chemistry, the juice, and not the circuitry, was mixing up and making me insane. This yep. is a layman's explanation of the very complicated problem in her brain that is yep. also done, like, in, in meter and rhyme, effortlessly. Exactly. not In a using really good any rhyme. Word, <laughs> in a great rhyme, using words that everyone understands. Yep. Like, that is clever, but doesn't feel clever. No, because you don't notice it. Right. It feels so effortless. 
mm-hmm. um, which is such a joy in this thing. It really, really is. I just think they're incredible. But like I say, I'm very interested to hear if people do hate them and well, why. And if you do hate them, please just go and listen to it and read the lyrics. Sure. You know what I mean? Because it, they're not bad. It is <laughs> one of the interesting things on the topic of lyrics and book and mm. Brian Yorkie in particular. Um, mm-hmm. Brian Yorkie's perhaps other most critically acclaimed piece um, is 13 Reasons Why. Uh, and uh, he wrote that. He wrote 13 Reasons Why. Isn't that fascinating? That's difficult. Right? Yeah. He certainly... <laughs> That's very difficult. He certainly has found a niche in this kind of, like, subversive adolescent subversions of suicidal ideation, right? Jimmy's staring yeah. at me mouth agape. <laughs> um... I mean, he handled one significantly better than the other. Right? It's fascinating. And so, the reason I bring it up from this perspective is because Brian Yorkie is a lyricist, but not by profession. Okay. Like, it has certainly written other stuff. He wrote If Then with... um, If uh, Then, Last Ship, which I actually really, really like. Yeah. Um, He he did, uh, they both did uh, Freaky Friday. Um, oh which yes, I, which I particularly enjoy, and I think is their next thing that has found more critical acclaim than anything mm-hmm. else they've worked on. Um, mm-hmm. If then and last ship didn't really do great, um, but also thirteen reasons why, right? And so yeah. it is interesting to see this combination of where, like, you look at some of the previously old school, um, you know, book writer lyricists in the world. Sondheim, yeah. Lloyd Webber, Schwartz, um, and, you know, Aarons and Flaherty, like, these even duos and things. And we pen them as being people of, like, they, they are disguise masters. They can put on a genre or an idea or a story and bring it to the musical theater world. Mm-hmm. It is interesting to watch Brian Yorkie in particular. Like, you look at even just all of his things. Last Ship may be an exception, but still, I don't know, has a flavor of this. I don't, this is not mm-hmm. a fully developed thesis for me. Um, but, like, he's got, a, he's got a style and a knack, but also a content, mm-hmm. which you don't see as much in some other musical theater writers. And perhaps that should be embraced more. You know? um... One of the big criticisms, say, of... Um, uh, American Psycho um, is that it sounds like that Duncan Sheik sound, which was appropriate for uh, Spring Awakening, for spring. but yeah. perhaps seems less appropriate for American Psycho, and that he yeah. could not disguise himself enough to fit whatever American Psycho is. Whereas yeah, I'll give you that. Yorkie flips the script and seems to find his, the projects that he seems most successful in mm-hmm. are the ones that are in this adolescent suburbia you know family social dynamic mental illness world yeah i think but even just out of the the actual specific content there yeah um just in terms of like he's a writer that likes to kind of play about with the form yeah sure do you know what i mean like he isn't limited to this will be X. Right. He is very much uh, 
lives in the uh, Sondheim world of content dictating form. Yes. You know? Yes, he does. Because that is what makes them very distinguishable because the four, so if you take the four of them, if you take Next to Normal, if you take uh, If Then, Last Ship and Freaky Friday, Mm -hmm. and then you pointed them all up to me and said, these were all written by the same person. I'd be like, that's fascinating. Hang on, what? Because they're... They're all individually really iconic. Yes. You know? And, and and different. And I think part of it is he is a lyricist book writer, which I yeah. think we're seeing less of in contemporary musical theater. Yeah. I think we see much more music lyrics and then book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that – and I think there's power in that. I think it's why Next to Normal is so great is that – and why the lyrics kind of feel like the book. And if you've yeah, only ever totally. listened to the album and you read the script – You'll find things that you didn't know about, but it's not going to seem like, and now we pause the music and go on to the scene. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The story's there. The story's everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And one, just like, if you read some of the book, that'll just give you some more. It'll give you some depth. Yeah. It won't give you anything new. Yeah. It'll just uh, give you some depth, um, which is lovely. Uh, I think, obviously, we've talked a lot about um, Brian Yorkie, but to talk just a little bit about Tomkit as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, you and I, we're not music theory experts. No. So... I'm sure there's plenty of really great intellectual stuff that can be said about, you know, meter. I know one thing that he does that someone else has told me, uh-huh. but I'm going to parrot that. Um, so he uses 7 8 a lot. Oh, okay. Which is like um, basically like dropping a beat yeah. off of no, I know seven, every eight. bar. We, one, of our, um, one of our show choir uh, stalwarts was uh, Deck the Halls in 7 8, which was mostly an, an experience in, mu- in uh, music theory. That uh, sounds horrifying. Oh, it's, it's a real fun song. Fa la 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 Yeah. But anyway, so he uses that throughout and it creates this really cool disarming effect. Okay. You feel, you do feel it like there's a there's a pulse to the music of Nixon Normal that is always there and it's jumping. You hear it a lot in the break just to pull that back. Yeah. But then one of the things that I think he does brilliantly is he barely buttons. Yes. And it's not a song through. No. Like, it's a book, yeah. you know, musical as as we know it's it. It's a book musical with a bunch of scenes that end in like a bump like you, but it's not yes. it's not doing that, you know, Hello Dolly Avenue Q music band thing. Exactly. There's no there's no like and it's your time to clap. And that is great because it just amps up the tension. It's yeah. one of my favorite things in theater is when yeah. uh whether it's the writer or the director who makes that decision to not allow the audience to clap, yeah. uh, it's really good because it's like, no, we're telling you a story. Listen. Right. <laughs> right. Um, we'll what it is, it. It is, it's great. Clarity that you did not have before. The treatment is strong, but lasts only so long. It may be your mind's needing more. Make up your mind that she'll try again. Make up your mind, there are moments of light The one thing that's sure is that there is no cure But that doesn't mean we don't fight Catch me, I'm falling Sinking and sprawling Maybe i let myself fall Watch me, I'm falling Maybe the falling Isn't so bad after I to be yeah, so before we finish up um, talking about 
the 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 meat. Um, I want to talk about my favorite meat. <laughs> no, no we'll get in trouble. They listen to this. Funny. Um, the uh, yeah, the the character of Gabe, I mm. think, is just an, yet another example of the incredible writing in this show. Yes. Um, obviously, all of the characters uh, are really interestingly written and, and deep. Um, yeah. But Gabe is obviously a character unlike any other in the fact that he is many things. Yes. Yes. Um, he is Gabe. He is uh, a manifestation of Diana's illness. Yeah. Uh, he's also a manifestation of uh, Diana's grief. Yeah. Uh, and also he's a manifestation of Gabe. <laughs> yeah. And of, of Dan's denial. Like <laughs> Exactly. All these so, things. So many things. And it's so well written. Um, and just the way that he plays. So, uh, I like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is how stupid I am. Um, it took me, I would say maybe three full listenings to mm-hmm. mix to normal to realize that Gabe had died. <laughs> oh, I think that's so important. And it is interesting. I, it was in the, in the front of my mind doing all this research again, when they introduce the performance of next to normal at the Tony awards, uh-huh. um, their language surrounding describing Gabe is very specific. It says yeah. something like uh, Diana is, you know, grappling with her husband Dan, and uh, she envisions her son entering into the scene or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They don't say like, and her dead. Son, like they don't explain it. Yeah, exactly. Which is and it's, it's important of all of the kind of twists yeah in broadway it's really well maintained like yeah. it, it's not everywhere well, and especially for one that like <clears throat> scene three is divulged yeah exactly it's not like the murderer um, at the end of the book totally uh it's, it's really it's really really smart but yeah so i i hadn't realized it so stupid yeah um and i don't quite know what i thought was the plot but you know that way when you listen to something yeah you just go along with it for the music. You're right. like, this sounds amazing. Yeah. And then you start listening to what's going on. You start anyway, stuff out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just really, really intelligent how he's worked into it with each of the characters. Yeah. Um, how he's kind of there for Natalie mm-hmm. as this kind of icon almost yeah. because his parents, her, uh, yeah, her parents have put him onto this pedestal in different ways. Right. Um, one through denial, one through idolation. Yeah, um, and so in Superboy and the Invisible Girl, that's like the, their song together. Absolutely, um, he's taunting of her. He's just, but he is just like this kind of br- British big brother type. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the even just the lyrics of Superboy and the Invisible Girl. You know, the only thing she says is that he's not here, right? Here or there? I can't remember which one is there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's not here. I am here. Um, like that could be interpreted in a he's distant. He, you know, doesn't get involved. I'm here, right? And listen to me, or just even in the sense of like a, a child being to a parent who's neglecting yeah. her. I'm here. Give yeah. me attention. Well, and even um, then, in the same way that uh, Gabe sings along with Dan, sometimes the fact that Gabe is duetting like Superboy and the Invisible Girl, Son of Steel and Daughter of Air, like. He's yeah. also saying, like, yeah, yeah, you're the invisible one, and I'm Superboy. Exactly. And it is. That's probably the thing that's going on in her head, is that they 
much prefer him over me like right. he's the golden boy yeah. and i'm well nothing and that's the beauty of the whole thing is like yeah. we're talking about him like he's a character they're talking yeah. about him like he's a person he's not yeah he is the creation he is the manifestation of their ideas of what he might have been exactly because that's thing he you know he died when he was an 18 month old baby right you know they had no idea what he would be as a human yeah and yet the kind of uh yeah, the, this manifestation that is created. I love so in the MTI libretto, um, mm-hmm. all the I always I always find front and back material so fascinating because yes. I, I think it's where some authors show their hands a little bit. Um, Absolutely, Tommy. And like some Absolutely. some people do it really well and take advantage of it, and some people don't, and it's a missed opportunity. Um, yeah, because like can't wait till we talk about hairspray. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, right. So the whole there's a page called the cast. Four men, uh-huh. two women, in order of appearance, and it is sent. They introduce Diana, and then everyone introduced is introduced in relationship to her. So right, yeah. Her son, her husband, her daughter, and Henry, and Doctor uh, Maiden, and then Fine. Um, yep. But Diana, thirties or forties, sexy, sharp, delusional, bipolar, depressive. Yep. Her son Gabe, almost eighteen, dashing, gentle, bright, playful. Everything a mother, everything a mother, etc., is what's yeah. written, and yeah. that is a perfect description. Stunning, isn't it? It's the, again, God is in the details. It's so good. It's everything a mother could, you know. Um, yeah, which is exactly what he is because yeah, he's everything. He's literally everything his mother has dreamed of. Yep. Which Completely. is that metaphor? Like it is so That's poetic. So I'm surprised it's not in the show. Um, yeah, I know. I'm I know. Kind of delighted that it's not exactly because it's just for us. But it's so perfect. Um, yeah, the whole thing um, is just perfect. It really is, and just so even just the way that he kind of creeps around, and because uh, obviously it's strange because he's not the enemy, right? He's, he's certain- not the the evil wizard no anonymous, he's certainly I mean? he's- the antagonist, but he's not yes. the, the evil person. But that's the thing is like he isn't. Right. The idea of him is... doesn't exist. But even then, it's not necessarily the idea of him. Right. It's the illness that he represents. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's this kind of, like, bigger bad that exists out with. It it does... This is an amorphous thought that's been sitting in the back of my brain for a long time about theatre in general Mm. that I've not been able to articulate well, so this probably won't be great. But I think... Some of the best pieces of drama mm-hmm. personify difficult to describe things, and that's <laughs> what makes them good. So, in this example, Gabe is a personification of so many things: of bipolar yes. depressive disorder, of grief, of denial. Uh, right? Like he is a person who is these things. Yes. But he's not, like, walking out on stage with a sign around his neck that says grief. Um, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's Gabe. He's a metaphor for these things approached or, like, given to the audience as a person. Um, mm-hmm. I think about this a lot in the interpretations of Into the Woods and whether or not Milky White is a person or a puppet. Um, yeah. Right? And the differences that says about whether this is – you can do the joke where Jack picks up Milky White and runs away with it or whether it's – 
a person in a cow suit who can have reactions and things. Um, exactly. And I think Into the Woods is one where like you're telling a different story if you do either way. I, I, and I think 100%. both can be appropriate. But yeah, 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 yeah. once you make a thing a person, our brain takes a bunch of shortcuts that lets us yep. appreciate a bunch of like really high-level concepts yep. when done well. Exactly. Um, it, yeah, completely. No, you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. In, just using the context of the next to normal, um, if you don't have bipolar depressive disorder, mm-hmm. you can still appreciate what it's like yes. to not have it, yeah. but to understand how it interacts with your life, yes. for example. Yeah. Um, because Gabe... This idea of him being beautiful, yeah, I think is very important. Yeah, um, very attractive. Yeah, um, very loving. Yeah, uh, because a lot of the time, your mental illness isn't something that you hate. Yeah, it, you you do cuddle yeah. it. You know what I mean? You uh, because it's your life. You yeah, know what I mean, and it's such a significant part of your life. Yeah, so that's very important. Um, the the fact that he. Um, for, so, for example, in uh, I'm Alive, mm-hmm. this kind of, you know, in, as an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old, um, this kind of burst of energy and that bravado that you would have oh, as yeah. a 17-year-old is 100% a thing. Yeah. And but this idea of him being like, I exist, yeah. I am here, and I feed on the fear that's behind your eyes, like all of these things yeah. that ring completely true if you're just this teenager full of bravado and think you're unstoppable yeah but also uh mental illness where in that early stages where you can't get control of it yeah you just feel as unstoppable yeah yeah and i mean that is you know one of the that's one of the buys of the bipolar is the manic episodes is the yep. you know the mountains the highest highs exactly is that like unstoppable motivation yeah. um and it, it is like i think one of the great tra- tragedies of the show is that we see Diana be a really, really good mother to Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like like Gabe more than Natalie. 100%, because that's what she knows, yeah. you know? And it's, it is, it's like a, a two-part thing of the, maybe the guilt of whatever happened and losing her son and being like, well, I'm going to have these delusions where I'm winning and I'm taking care of him and he's happy and we get on so well. Yeah. Um, but also in the sense of, her and her illness yeah and yeah. not facing up to it the right way yeah and standing up to it letting yeah. it kind of control and like the reins. even when you hit the end you know when we're when we're falling action like mm-hmm. between i mean like i think climax to falling action like what was his name what was his name you know yeah. appropriately so diana never interacts with gabe after she forgets him mm-hmm. he's around but like they don't have conversations anymore exactly um but that's the thing the song aftershocks mm-hmm. is an incredible song yeah um again just the, the lyric but uh what what it is in terms of mental illness is so good and just like the pun on shock because we've had shock therapy yep. uh just aftershocks in general what they mean the fact that you know mental illness is something that is ongoing there's no say goodbye to that you're done yeah um and it's genius yeah no it like the way that this is 
when Alice Ripley has her <laughs> kind of manic acceptance speech at the Tony's, yeah. um, she reads a quote from like that's written on the Kennedy Center wall that is something along the lines of like when the dust has settled on civilization. Um, we will not be remembered for our wars or our economies or our politics. We'll be remembered by our art and what we've contributed mm-hmm. to society. Mm-hmm. And the way that Next to Normal can take something that is misunderstood and misappreciated and stigmatized and all these things and open it up like a flower in a way where you can appreciate it and understand it without needing to like pull out a textbook without needing to like sit in a lecture hall but like you can appreciate the 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 science and the like logical struggles behind all of this also alongside appreciating the mental and socio-emotional struggles attached to it um and it becomes so appropriate when it is about mental illness where both of those things are so inextricably tied it's so it's such a good show, Jimmy. Yeah, it is. Tommy, that was next to normal. That was next to normal. That wow, uh, it's a lot. Thank, I'm. I don't think we say this on microphone enough. Yes, I am really thankful that we can talk about some of these things with each other. Me too. I yeah, I really appreciate yeah uh, 
the hours that we spend. <laughs> the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, mostly pushing what would be Scotland Dawn. Uh, <laughs> yes. Which it's is, dark, though, so that's is, not bad. It is dark now. Uh, also, Scotland Dawn is a new war movie I'm starting. Yeah, uh, I really like it. <laughs> Scotland Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, the Jonas funny. Brothers are on tour again. Is that their new song? I hope so. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. That, to, to ruin a sincere moment, I agree, because there's not many people that would listen to me talk about the intricacies <laughs> of Brian Yorkie's work. So... Fair, sure, yeah, Dreaming. absolutely. Um, I got a quiz question for you. Excellent. It relates Can't to wait. the show we're going to talk about next week in a total shocker. That's novel. <laughs> All right, buckle up. <laughs> I'm a foley artist. There you go. Uh, That's beautiful. Your you. your your walla is stunning. Um, oh, I don't know that, but yeah. Oh, we'll talk about walla later. Uh, Great. <laughs> despite popular assumptions to the contrary. This musical is not the first musicalized mashup of this author's work. A previously created TV special stars, among other people, Kathy Najimy, Christopher Lloyd, Robin Williams, and an entire gospel choir. What musical is the second musicalized mashup of this author's work? Well, I understood that. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Exactly. Hey, if you would like to get in touch with us, you absolutely can, and please do. Our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, uh, which is J I M A N D T O M I C, or you can join in our Reddit discussion. Uh, the links are all in the show notes in your podcatcher right now or over at jimandtomic.com. And while you're over there, you can check out our Patreon if you'd like to financially support the show. We are always so thankful for our patrons on Patreon. Um, also, as always, Always reviews on Apple Podcasts are one of the most helpful free things you can do to help out the show. Love it. Yes. Whenever I'm having a down day, one of the things I actually do is read reviews on Apple Podcasts of our show. I'm the same. <laughs> but it's annoying because we've got more from the States that I can't access briefly. Oh, no. I know. So, <laughs> hey, if you're listening from the UK, please leave a review so I can get more. So that Jimmy um, feels happier in life. Exactly. Uh, but what would make me so happy is if you just tell all your pals to join in our conversation and listen along with us. That'd be fab. Absolutely. And that's all we got for you. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. And, of course, cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Gassy boy. Don't, I, I'm a little gassy boy.